Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Well, this is the seventh of seven messages in a series called Finding Your Faith. And today we're going to speak of powerful faith from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 40. <clears throat> a story is told of a town where all of the residents are ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street <clears throat> to their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and they squat in their usual seat on the proper pew. You can choose which one is you up there if you'd like. <clears throat> The Duck Choir, you're happy to know that the Duck Church still has a choir. <clears throat> the Duck uh, Choir waddles in and takes its place. Then the Duck Minister uh, comes forward and he opens the Duck Bible. He reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and you can soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds and all of the ducks shout, Amen! Then they all get up and waddle home. Sometimes we're in duck church, aren't we? This is the final message of a seven-part series on the subject of faith. I've named this Finding Your Faith because it is my belief that many have lost their faith. I think that many have lost their faith, that is, not lost their religion or lost their salvation, I should say, but lost their faith because of several things. I think the, the sinfulness of the world and the seeming uh, relentless march toward further decay in the society in which we live has caused people to lose their faith. I think the uh, economic condition of the world, though we are living uh, in still one of the greatest and most prosperous countries of the world, and many are experiencing prosperity, there are far more that are experiencing times of frustration. And the world seems to be in a state of fear. Our country, <clears throat> our nation seems to be in a state of fear. We're afraid economically. We're afraid um, sociopolitically and, and so on. I think the condition of our, our world in Washington has got people losing their faith. Could I tell you this is an interesting thing that I've been watching all of these surveys on the popularity of, uh, of the president and the popularity of Congress and so forth. It appears to me that the vast majority of America would like for everybody who's there to leave and a whole different group of people to come in. Now that is the, the sad state that our world is in. Our world our faith, I believe, has diminished because of the condition 
of, uh, of our security in the world. I will be getting on an airplane before long and flying to another country. I'll fly for 10 hours, maybe 12. And I have to tell you that ever since the downing or the disappearance of the Malaysia flight, I think about that. I will be flying an American carrier, uh, and I will be praying a lot. And I do believe that God will take care of me. I flew one time on an airplane, and sitting about three rows in front of me was Madeline Murray O'Hare, one of the most famous atheists that's ever lived. And the person flying with me said, oh no, preacher, Madeline Murray O'Hare is on this plane. This thing's going down. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, you know that you started that statement with, oh no, preacher. We're going to find out if me alive or her dead is more important to God. Happy to report God was happy to have me alive. There's a difficult state of affairs going on in our world today. We are often, many of us are like little Bo Peep who've lost her, lost her sheep and didn't know where to find them. We've, we've lost our faith and don't know where to find it. And it's my belief that you have had several amen moments during this series. Maybe you'll have more amen moments today. However, like the ducks who could fly but never did, most of us will simply waddle back home to wait for the next message so that we can waddle back to church and hear the message and waddle back home again. Even though we believe it and even though we say amen, we have a hard time finding our faith. We know that faith is as small as a grain of mustard seed can move mountains and move trees. If only a small percentage, maybe even a fraction of a percent of our church could find the kind of faith that God wants us to have, this church and maybe even our town could be transformed. Faith is a powerful thing, as we'll see in this final text today from Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffering suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That last little phrase, apart from us, they should not be made perfect, has a lot more power in it than you might think. I'm going to share that with you at the end of the message. Let's begin by looking today at a potent faith. For this whole series, we've examined the stories of faith that seemed almost too powerful to be true. We've seen how faith can pass through generation to generation, and we've seen how a a thread tracing one faithful person to another can go from a faithful woman in Israel named Jochebed, the mother of Moses, to a prostitute in Jericho uh, named, um, uh, what was the woman's name? Rahab, uh, was named Rahab. I got all excited, didn't have that written down. <clears throat> We've seen how faith can be traced. The story of faith has been told through the people of faith, and that's the way the story of faith is told. Back again at verse 32, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Zephthah, of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets. Now here's an interesting assortment of people. Their stories are much different. The commonality between them was their faith. Gideon was a farmer who did not uh, want to assume leadership. Gideon was a man who made every excuse that he could, saying that he was in his family the least of all of his family. And if the angel was going to touch someone, he had brothers at home that would be better leaders than he. But finally, in the end, he said, all right, I'll do this by faith. And by faith, he had great victory. Barak won a resounding victory in uh, Sisera, but he needed the prophetess Deborah Uh, who helped him and assured him that he could win uh, that victory. And both Gideon and Barak are encouragements to us who falter in our faith. In those times when you feel like you may not be able to go on and you may not be able to do what God wants you to do because your faith is not everything that it ought to be, be encouraged by the likes of a Gideon. Be encouraged by the likes of a man named Barak who, apart from the encouragement of a prophetess named Deborah, would have never stepped out on the faith uh, that uh, took him to victory. We all know the story of Samson. Samson won a great victory by faith. Here's what we fail to appreciate sometimes. I wasn't, it was uh, until I was an adult that I realized what a cad Samson really was. Samson was one messed up individual. Uh, he was messed up in just about every value of life, but, and, and anything but the picture of godliness. However, uh, even though he was a man given to the desires of the flesh, in the end, he showed himself to be a man of faith. Now, none of us want to wait until the end of our lives to live our faith. But in Samson's case, we are shown that some do. There are some who wait until the end of their life to live their faith. Like Barak, uh, another obscure person that uh, 
uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, like Barak, uh, uh, he was an obscure person uh, in the Bible, but so was a man named Jephthah. He was the son of a man named Gilead, but he wasn't the brother to the rest of the children. They had a family of six, eight, nine, ten, four, however many children they had. He was the only one that was not the natural son of, of uh, Barak and their mother. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, of Gilead and their mother. And the other children in Gilead's home drove him away and, and trouble followed him everywhere he went. He was a guy that just had trouble all the time. It seemed like that trouble was his destiny. However, there came a turning point in his life when he became a leader in the army of the Lord and, and he dedicated his home to serve God. And there's a unique dedication that he had for his daughter trying to make sure that she would not be the, the kind of person that his birth mother had been. And the stories of David and Samuel are very familiar to us, and they round out a variety of faithful servants named in Hebrews 11. The path of faith follow people of faith. If there's going to be a path of faith, if there's going to be faith demonstrated, it's going to be through people of faith. I don't think you can look at a church body and say there's a church of great faith. I think if there's a few people in the church with great faith, the body will be known as a church of great faith. Oddly enough, not many churches are known as churches of great faith. We know about churches that have great music. We know about churches that may have a, a big crowd <clears throat> on a given Sunday. We know about churches that have great buildings. We know about churches that have great locations and we can go on. But you don't know of many churches that has great faith. There aren't many churches that you'd point to and say, you know, there's a church of great faith. Well, Pastor Ray, it's because not everybody in a church is going to have great faith. Well, remember the premise of this, the beginning of this message, that if the faith, the grain of, uh, size of a grain of mustard seed could move mountains, what would happen in a church where just one or two people had great faith. I'll tell you what would happen. It would become <clears throat> a church of great faith. The people of faith see the power of faith demonstrated in their lives and those around them. After the list of people of faith comes a list of those who had power or of the power of their faith. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong <clears throat> out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies uh, to fight. <clears throat> the power of faith stopped the mouths of lions. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of going to Southwestern Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And I was in a meeting that was take, took place in Dr. Paige Patterson's office. Dr. Patterson, in my opinion, is one of the, the great uh, men of the Bible and men of faith living in our world today. Dr. Patterson is a big game hunter. We met in the conference room next to his office and as we gathered in that conference room, I looked through the, the door into his office, and there he sat at his credenza working on his computer. 
And so I stepped inside of his office. And he looked up at me and he said, hello. And I shook his hand and I said, I'm Randy Ray from Tallahassee. Brother Ray, it's good to see you. I'd met him one time before. He pretended as though he remembered me and I appreciated that. And I looked around his office as was in the conference room and there was unbelievable, <clears throat> unbelievable numbers of big game. As I stood there talking to him, I looked to my left and there was a full-sized lion. Full, that's right, wow. <clears throat> there was a full-sized lion. And that lion was in the attack mode with teeth bare. And I was standing between the desk and Dr. Patterson and the lion right here. And I said, uh, where'd you get that one? He said, Brother Ray, that lioness was as close to me as you are to me when I finally got the shot off. He said, as I was there, I was looking in the grass and out of the grass came that lioness after me and she jumped into the air and when she jumped into the air to pounce on me, I let go and he named the gun that he was holding. He said, I let go of the round and it blew her heart out. And he said, I was so filled with adrenaline that when she fell on the ground, I fell across her. I said, was that shot skill or the Lord? I think it was a little bit of both, Brother Ray. I thought to myself, my goodness gracious, that might be a thrill for some people, but I love to see lions in pictures. <laughs> I'm not sure that I have the faith to stop the mouth of a lion. But Paige Patterson that day seemed to have it. We often hear of the power of prayer, but we rarely hear of the power of faith. Bill Hybels, the pastor of the Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, tells about an interesting experience after a baptism service in their church. Here's what he wrote. I bumped into a woman in the stairwell who was crying. I thought this was a little odd since the service was so joyful. I asked her if she was all right. And she said, no, I'm struggling. She said, my mom was baptized today. I prayed for her every day for almost 20 years. And the reason I'm crying is because I came this close, she said, to giving up on her. At the five-year mark, I said, who needs this? God isn't listening. At the 10-year mark, I said, why am I wasting my breath? At the 15-year mark, I said, this is absurd. At the 19-year mark, I said, I'm just a fool. But I just kept trying and kept praying. And even with weak faith, I kept praying. And then she gave her life to Christ and she was baptized today. I will never <clears throat> doubt the power of prayer again. Faith can be powerful. Sometimes when we pray and pray, we feel like we're experiencing the law of diminishing returns, so we stop praying. We say to ourselves, I put too much prayer into this for it to be worth it or for it to ever happen. Consequently, we diminish our desires and our dreams. We stop believing 
that God cares and that He will act or even that He is a a God who wants us to ask. We think that, that to bother God with our problems is just an absurd idea and presumptuous to bother God with our problems. To fail to bother God with our problems is to fail in faith, I think. I think that we must learn to bother God in problems. Faith can have powerful results, but we must walk in it. As we look at this powerful faith, we see, first of all, a potent faith. Secondly, we see that it can be a preserving faith. Faith preserves us. Here's an interesting and true story. The Nigerian city of Jos sits on Africa's greatest fault line between Muslim North and Christian South, and thus has faced terrible things in recent days, years. A Nigerian Baptist church was attacked. The Nigerian Baptist church was attacked by Muslim extremists who burned the church building, the house of the church leader. His name is Pastor Sunday Gomna. That's him standing in front of his burned out church. On the second Sunday after the violent outbreak, when the people of that Baptist church returned for worship, they gathered in a little mud wall community center about one kilometer from the burnt church. And Pastor Gomna stood up and offered some beautiful words of gratitude. He said, first, I am grateful that no one in my church killed anyone. Apparently during the chaos of the attacks, Pastor Sunday had gone around the community and some of the Muslim people had said, Pastor, thank you for the way that you taught our people. Your people helped to protect us. So the pastor was proud of his people that they didn't kill anyone on that, uh, kill any Muslims. Secondly, he said, I am grateful that they did not burn my church. Well, everyone looked at Pastor Sunday with disbelief. After all, they were meeting in an uncomfortable place, a mud hut, because their church had been burned to the ground. Then Pastor Sunday went went on, inasmuch as no church member died during this crisis, they did not burn our church. They only burned our building. We can rebuild the building, but we could not bring back to life any of our members. So I'm grateful that they did not burn my church. Now here is the preserving faith. Then he said, third, I am grateful that they burned my house as well. If they had burned your house and not my house, how would I have known how to serve you as pastor? However, because they burned my house and all my possessions, I know what you are experiencing and I'll be able to better pastor, be a better pastor to you. So I'm grateful that they burned my house as well. I would say that uh, Pastor Sunday found his faith, wouldn't you? I would say that somewhere in his life, he found real faith and he kept it. I hope and pray that we never have to face such times in this country. But it is a reality around the world today that people like Pastor Sunday and places like Nigeria and other places around the world Christianity is experiencing serious and severe persecution. Many believers are in times of persecution, but they remain faithful to God. How is this possible? 
it's possible because when needed, God gives us preserving faith. Faith that will take care of us. From our text in verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Here are three encounters of life when faith preserves saints of the Old Testament and New. First of all, our faith preserves us in time of heartache. Some of you have been through heartache after heartache, and it was only your faith that preserved you, and faith will preserve you. You'll recall that both Elijah and Elisha raised sons of grieving mothers. Elijah raised the son of a woman uh, of Zarephath, and who took him in and through times of, of uh, drought. And Elisha raised the son of a Shunammite woman. All of us have heartaches. And God may supernaturally end your heartache, or he may see you through it. Either way, he is God and he is good. In this passage of the power of faith, the worst kind of heartache was repaired by a miracle. Sometimes God preserves us through faith. I wouldn't ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you are going through a heartache. You're going through a time of hurt, a time of real pain in your life. You know where the preservation comes? You know, don't you? It comes through faith. You've got to find your faith in times of heartache or, as we've indicated, when you're persecuted. What we read earlier is unthinkable. Yet, it's still happening today. Verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They, were a, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Our affliction comes to us on time change Sunday when we have to get up an hour earlier. <clears throat> That's hard for us. It's tough for us to, to deal with this yellow pollen. I was talking to some folks before the service and talking about this pollen. And, and I said, you know, I, I'm sh I know that it comes every year, but every year I'm just shocked by it. And one of the people said, I think it's worse this year than it's ever been. And I said, I've thought that every year. And it may be. That's the extent of our difficulty. Oftentimes, that's the extent of our pain. However, that's not the extent of everybody's pain. We have missionaries to Mombasa, Kenya, very good friends of ours, Jim and Susie Horn. Not too very long ago, in a church only two miles from Crossroads Fellowship, the pastor of a Baptist church and some members were taken out of the church on Sunday morning, and they were burned to death in front of their church building. That's less than two miles from Crossroads Fellowship where that couple had church services earlier today in that part of the world less than two miles. <clears throat> I preached. I, I, have, I have preached in that church 
That church is less than two miles from where a Baptist pastor and leaders of the church were taken out and burned for their faith. Persecution is real. Just because it's not in Tallahassee to that degree doesn't mean it's not real in other parts of the world. It is real. Here's the other thing that we're preserved from during faith, and that is times of exile. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. I guess my question is this, under these circumstances, could any of us continue in faith? We're having a hard time navigating a prolonged recession. Even though the numbers say that we're out of the recession, we don't believe the numbers. We're having a hard time navigating the the gridlock. We're having a hard time navigating the things that are going on in in Washington, D.C., the things that are going on in our own state. We're having a hard time navigating the fact that the whole world seems to be leaning in an opposite direction from where our faith would take us. The question is, could we survive these circumstances? I hope I don't ever have to find out. I really do. I, I hope I don't have to find out. But I'll tell you this. In one part of the world, people are standing in faith regardless of the circumstances. In other parts of the world, they're quitting in faith because their feelings got hurt. In one part of the world, people are standing in faith until they're drug out in the front of the church and, and they're burned to death as an example to every one else. Yet in another part of the world, people are dropping out of church because they disagreed. People are dropping out, and I'm not being mean, I'm just being honest. We drop out over petty things. Petty reasons. We just quit going to church. I don't like the way this happens. I don't like the way that happens. I don't like the music. I don't like, I mean, you can go on and on. Just fill in the blank. And could I tell you this? Fill in the blank, and any of these heroes of Hebrews chapter 11 would have loved to have had a church like yours, even though it aggravates you, it would bless them. And I say that generically regardless of what church you're sitting in. We are not very strong in faith. We look at the cross and and we hear the cross sung as Matt sang the cross to us today. We, We see and we hear the cross and we're thankful for the cross, but we do not have the faith to live the cross of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are to take up our cross and follow him. But we fail in faith because it's too hard to have faith. Well, let me bring you to the last point from the last two verses. That is the purity or a pure faith. This is something that we talked about earlier in this series People who die in faith die with expectations of things that are yet to come. 
People who die in faith die having never seen what they were hoping they would have the faith to see someday. You say, well, God never did come through for them. It's interesting. This whole chapter, the Hall of Fame chapter in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, it, all of it talks about people who died still looking for the promise. Well, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and God just didn't answer, so I quit. I was faithful to the Lord. I was faithful to the Lord for six months, and nothing happened. Now, could I say this? He was faithful to the cross, amen? Yeah, he was. Hebrews eleven, thirty-nine and 40, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since... God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, what does that mean? Well, I would encourage you that if you've got on lace-up shoes, you need to reach down and lace them up tight because this may blow your shoes and socks off. This is awesome. First of all, it's talking about a pure faith looks to that which was promised. A pure faith lives on the promise, not on the delivery. It lives on the promise. Lucy and Linus were sitting in front of the television set when Lucy said to Linus, go get me a glass of water. And Linus looked surprised. Why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. Then Lucy said, on your 75th birthday... I'll bake you a cake. (laughs) Linus got up and headed to the kitchen. Here's what he said. Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. It's kind of what we've been saying in these seven messages. Hopefully we will always look forward to the promises of God. I put this as my Facebook status today. When there is no promise ahead, there's nothing to live for and no joy of going to any reward. In this life, you're either going to or going away from your reward. You're either heading toward all that you've built by faith and all you've invested by faith or you're leaving all the investments of your life. Going from reward makes us bitter. Okay, I'm going to leave all of this. It makes us bitter. Going to reward makes us better. Now, I enjoy the good things of life as much as anybody else does. But if in this life that's all the reward there is for all of eternity, not much. I was told that I serve the Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I was told that I'm a child of the King. 
I was told that he's gone to prepare a place for me, that where he is there I may be also. And if the best I'm ever going to have is on Centennial Oak Circle, if the best I'm ever have is a 2007 Tahoe, if the best I ever get is a nice set of golf clubs, if those are the best things that I'm ever going to have in all of eternity, then I'm ticked off. But Ronnie, if I'm going to it, buddy, it's better. One of my high school teachers, Martha Wood, she's now Martha Wood Hager. Martha Wood Her husband died this past week. He had Alzheimer's. And so I wrote on her Facebook wall and I said, Dear lady, seeing our loved ones go to heaven is like money in the bank. We drive by all of the banks and think nothing of it except the one where we have deposits. And we always notice the one where we have deposits. You have deposited your precious husband in heaven. And it has become more precious to you. We have a pure faith when we are moving toward that which was promised. And when we see that it is a providing faith. It's interesting to see that the faith of these mentioned, although racked with pain and persecution, remained pure in part because of knowing that their faith was providing for generations to come. That's a key right there. It was providing for generations to come. This is how we live our faith. Faith isn't about instant gratification. It's about the hope for tomorrow and beyond. Faith isn't about what's it just going to do for me. It's about what's it going to do through me and beyond. What will faith be doing after I'm gone? The faith that God let me have. It's about establishing a way for our children and our children's children to live and to thrive. It's beyond the house that we'll go back to after this service. Today's walk of faith provides for tomorrow's generation of faith. Even to the perfecting. The very last phrase of the chapter says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, what does that mean? All of this about faith And they died looking for something that didn't happen in their lifetime. And then they said this, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Well, think about it. The Bible says that there's joy in heaven. There's joy in seeing Jesus. There's joy in meeting up with loved ones who've gone on. And and it's not hard to imagine that. 
It's not hard to imagine all of those joys. But one thing that is not so often considered is the joy of seeing the perfection or the maturing of our faith as generations come behind us. What? Here's a verse some of you have missed. It's an important verse. Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's the joy of a perfecting faith. I mentioned in another message the salvation of my grandson, Bradford. I love Bradford. I love Harper. Today, after this service, we're going to go to Jacksonville. and We're going to take our daughter-in-law, Lindsay, to dinner for her birthday. And there's about to be another birthday over in Jacksonville. She's supposed to have a little girl named Emerson on May the 5th. And I will so love Emerson. And seeing Bradford get saved and baptized was just a great highlight of my life. But I want to tell you something. He has a great-grandfather that his dad does not remember because his great-grandfather died when he was just a little baby. Bradford's dad was a little baby. And I believe with all of my heart that his great-grandfather, my daddy, who he never met, that my dad found joy when his grandson came to Jesus. And do you know why? Because he saw his faith maturing. He saw his faith perfecting. And there was joy in the presence of angels over one who came to repentance. That's my grandboy. It's my great-grandboy. My grandson's his daddy. Had a little old boy. Got saved. He's got a little brother. Oh, I can't wait to see him get saved. He'll probably get saved tomorrow. You know, heaven's time schedule is real close. <clears throat> He'll probably get saved tomorrow. He's got a little... Got a little cousin on the way. I'm sure she's going to get saved too. That, that other grandson I never saw, he and his wife, they live over there in Jacksonville and, and they serve God. They're in church this morning at the Fruit Cove Baptist Church. They're in church this morning. Did you see that boy get saved? Did you see that boy get baptized? You know the excitement of that, don't you, Kathleen? It's the maturing of his faith. My faith's still growing down there. (laughs) My faith's still getting stronger. My faith is still perfecting. We often talk about the time when our faith will be sight. And that will be a wonderful thing. However, the maturing of our faith will continue until the church is gathered. And God's kingdom has come on earth as it is in our heaven. Then will our faith be complete. 
You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.